This holiday season, pay tribute to the people who fought for our freedom to celebrate. Featuring the largest American flag in the region, Spirit Park is now open at National Harbor, honoring active duty military and veterans. Take some time this holiday to remember, offer gratitude, and be inspired by the sacrifices of our service men and women who make our way of life possible. Plan your visit at nationalharbor.com slash spiritpark. That's nationalharbor.com slash spiritpark. So Luther, I think, gave us the formula for how to handle these things. It's to stand on Scripture alone and let the chips fall where they may. We're on the we're on the same side. We may disagree on certain theological issues, yeah, but, I, but I, we're I, on the I, same I, side. No, not at all. And, and look how nice we are each other. No, I enjoy this and uh, appreciate all you do out there for the Lord. It's like, you know what? What are you doing? You're spending all your time trying to destroy another Christian because you don't understand what's going on when you should be out there winning people for Jesus. Uh, we're not supposed to be blind sheep. We're supposed to be Koreans. And so just to, no matter who it is, this goes for everybody. Um, you're, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of yours. I'm a big fan. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's true. I, I love watching you and I love hearing what you have to say. And I think you're a, a great blessing to the body of Christ. Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode of Conversations with Jeff. We've got back Pastor Sam Jones from the Shining Light Podcast. Welcome back, Sam. I'm glad we could sit down and have another chat. Yeah, thank you for having me on, Jeff. I've really been enjoying your your conversations recently and uh, looking forward to seeing, well, what happens to this conversation and some other ones, too, moving forward. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm really happy, too, that, you know, we've got your guys' podcast on the, on the GK Podcast Network, and I know it's been getting a lot of good you know, response from a lot of people. So that's been really encouraging. Yeah, it's, it, it, it's been great because we, we generally have been focused in on, on Facebook and then uh, on iTunes. And it seems like the GK network is a little bit more on Twitter and SoundCloud. And so uh, really good to kind of mix in the different audiences and uh, been great to get to know some of the, the GKers. And I, I think it's a great network. Definitely. Well, we're, we're totally happy that you, we have you guys on. Cause, and, and the thing that I like about your guys' podcast, and I know I've said this a bunch of times on Twitter, is that I feel like you guys often take complicated issues and then just make it simple in everyday language that everybody can understand. Whereas it seems like a lot of the celebrity theologians always love using all, all the big words, not explaining it to make themselves look good. And I appreciate that you guys just make it simple that everybody can just follow and follow along with what you guys are talking about. Well, we figure it's important that if two simpletons like us can get it, then uh, everybody else can get it. And so the, the the real secret, though, is you find a guy like Patrick and you do a podcast with him and then you just ask dumb questions and he gives brilliant answers. That's <laughs> that's how I work. So. Hey, it's, it's a good strategy to go. <laughs> yeah. So, well, uh, well, one thing that I wanted to, you know, kind of talk to you and, you know, kind of start off the conversation with is I know there's been a lot of there's been a lot of talk and debate and everything with social justice and just that whole that whole movement, especially after the Shepherds Conference fiasco that happened. And I know you guys kind of covered that on your podcast as well. Um, but what do you feel has kind of been the fallout from all of that? Well, it's it's really interesting, especially because you mentioned uh, the Shepherds Conference and 
it, it's funny the way that whole thing went down because the I, I wrote an article about it and it's terrible. I can't remember the name of my article, but um, it, a compromise movement or something like that. And uh, of course, went over the idea of this the statement on social justice and the gospel, and then what MacArthur's been doing. And it's it hasn't been good in my opinion. But the the big uh, pushback that I've gotten from that is, well, you can't say that yet. It's too soon. It's it, it's too soon, you know. Um, and my original intention was actually to have the article out before Shepherd's Conference. I had it written uh, about three weeks before that, uh, kind of as a lead up and going and saying, look, he's having these people come. And this is a compromise. And he spoke at these conferences. And, and this is a compromise with the social justice issue uh, as he's going in and really giving a platform to guys who have stood on the side of social justice, spoken with guys on social justice and hasn't called them out. And and really does seem to be just as he ended up saying, um, not willing to be an island. And I, I didn't get the uh, the article out. And then I had a friend call me up and said, "Oh man, you you gotta you know you gotta cover this. This is crazy." And so I said, "Well, actually, I've got something that I think fits pretty well." And I watched the the Q and A and picked out a, a quote that just fit like a glove in the article and put it out. And so I thought that was pretty interesting, kind of how that that all went down. Um, but the fallback has been interesting because there have been uh, quite a few people to see that MacArthur's really violating what he's telling people to do. In fact, I just talked uh, last week with somebody, maybe it was two weeks ago, with somebody who's a, a big MacArthur fan, wasn't really sure what was going on with this whole social justice thing. I started telling him about it. And instead of going and, uh, you know, just taking my word for it, he said, hey, do you have any of the, the original um, Q&A any way to get that video and i've got a friend who who has it so i i got a hold of it and sent it to him and he watched it and he calls me up and this is a guy that i don't know real well uh just met a few weeks ago and it's we've been in, in conversation but he calls me up and he goes i can't believe macarthur's doing this and it's not just about macarthur he also said you know I, he's also a big al moeller fan he goes i can't believe the childishness of al moeller and the evasiveness of mark dever and then he goes and he says, and MacArthur's doing exactly what he tells everybody not to do. MacArthur goes and says, you know, you ought to be willing to stand alone for Christ. Uh, you know, being on Christ's side, you're always in the majority and things like that. He's he's made a basically his whole career on saying uh, stand against false teaching no matter what the cost is. And then here at the Shepherds Conference, he's saying, oh, boy, uh, I don't want to be stuck on an island. Now, I can agree with him. I wouldn't want to be stuck on an island with Phil Johnson either. I yeah, mean, I mean, it, it, right. that, that's a that's a fair that's a fair like response. <laughs> right. Yeah, that, that's a fair point. Yeah. But but you should be willing to be on an island uh, as long as Jesus is on your island. You know, yeah. uh, the, the good old hymn. I have decided to follow Jesus. You know, though none go with me, still I will follow. Are did, did they quit singing that there? I don't know. Yeah, uh, to quit singing it there at, at uh, Grace Community. Yeah, well, you know that that's the interesting thing is is that because of how high of a pedestal that they put guys like Charles Spurgeon up onto. I mean, during the whole downgrade controversy, I mean, he bas he basically was on an island. I mean, didn't he get voted out? Didn't he get voted out by his brother? I think out of their denomination. So I I'm mean, sorry, who was that? Uh, Charles Spurgeon, I believe, during the downgrade controversy. He, um, who, you know, is the guy that Phil Johnson and John MacArthur and that whole crowd look up to, um, he, he took the stand against his own denomination, I believe got voted out virtually unanimously, if I'm remembering correctly, including his own brother voting against him. I mean, he was for sure on his own, on his own island. 
Yeah, I, I think he was, and that's when he uh, started the um, the Metropolitan Tabernacle or, or whatnot. Was kind mm. of where that came out of. Is it? I'm a little fuzzy on that history, but I, I think that is what happened. Yeah. So so it, so to me, it's it it's interesting that they're willing to take this stand and separate from people when it's the charismatics. And I think a lot of it is because it's the, it's the word of faith charismatic guys that are way over on the other side. They really don't really have a whole lot of connection with them except for John Piper and John Piper's been going off the deep end for quite a while. So whereas now it is, it's within our own camp. It's the good guys. It's the guys that are supposed to be defending truth. Well, and and to play off of that Charles Spurgeon reference that you just made, uh, Spurgeon said that discernment isn't knowing right from wrong. It's knowing right from almost right. And, um, you know, like you said, the the crazy word, word of faith, charismatic things. And we're not talking about the clear-minded charismatics. We're talking about those who are clear over in left field. Um, MacArthur's willing to go and, and, of course, stand up against them and, and, and different things like that. I mean, that's they're clearly wrong, though. Right. Uh, but then when you get into the almost right, I mean, uh, Al Mohler, 85% of what he says, I could probably get behind. And, I mean, it's maybe getting a little bit less than that. But Al Mohler and Mark Dever, they do say a lot of things that are very good. Sometimes I sit there and I, it comes by and I'm like, wow, that's a great – oh, man, that, that guy said it. Well, I'm not going to share that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I mean it, it, it's funny in their idolization of Charles Spurgeon, and yet they're not really following what Spurgeon stood for is, is what I would say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, I, and I would say that guys like Al Mohler and Mark Dever and the Gospel Coalition, in my opinion, are almost more dangerous than – the word of faith guys like Benny Hinn and Joel Olstein and that crowd because they're so close, but then they're off enough to where they're making it a false gospel. Aren't aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you you know, I'm, I've stood pretty strong against the social justice gospel. In fact, just preached on it on Sunday evening and uh, kind of realized by going through my, my list, I've been calling out social justice for about a year now. And and the big reason why is I believe they're, they're really changing the, the view and the gospel narrative of who is uh, the victim. And I, I know in our last conversation, we talked about that quite a bit, but I think it's important that we recognize we're not the victim in the gospel narrative, uh, no matter how bad we have it on this earth, it's better than what we deserve. Uh, each one of us deserve that as soon as we sin to be cast into hell forever. And yet God is long suffering, even if it's just for one year or two years or or three years, or 85 years, or whatever it is, and how miserable of a life we have on this earth, uh, we really do deserve worse than that. And so we're not the victim. Uh, we victimize God when we sin. It's not just that we broke one of God's rules. It's that we are actually violating his character. And so I, I think that they really go and take a, a wrong twist, and they twist uh, biblical homardiology into uh, really a, a secular homardiology or a secular view of sin, a humanist side of it. And the problem with that, of course, is uh, can you really have the gospel message right if you're not rightly understanding sin? And, and I don't know if you can. I I would probably lean that you're not going to be preaching the right gospel if you have the wrong view of sin. Yeah, I mean, I mean that would make sense because, I mean, we, when you really get down to it, if you have the wrong view of sin, then really what are you repenting from? What, what, what did Jesus die on the cross to pay the penalty for? Was it my oppression? <laughs> Or was it me breaking God's commands? Right, exactly. Uh, Was it because society was bad around me, or was was it because I personally offended God? And, uh, you know, salvation 
And that's the big issue with social justice is that it's a collectivist uh, ide- ideology. And so it's always going to have that idea of collectivism with it. And the reality of it is salvation is individual. You know, I I can't go and save somebody else. Uh, people aren't saved because I'm saved. It's it's individually one at a time. Yeah, yeah. And so when, when we're looking at this whole movement with social justice, you know, because I feel like it, it kind of started to a certain degree within evangelicalism with the emerging church. And then it's kind of coming now with the gospel coalition and that sort of thing. But I feel like over like the last year or two, maybe it's just exploded within even the Bible teaching solid who we used to think were solid churches. Like, have you seen that in your area or is it just me out here in crazy California? <laughs> no, no, it's it, it's definitely out here, too. Um, now, the area I do live in, I will say, funny enough, uh, is probably less biblically minded than what you are at in California. Now, we're we, we more internalize it where you guys really you know, wear it on your sleeves. But according to Barna Group, we're the fourth least biblically minded area in the nation. So maybe, you know, maybe I am seeing it more here. Uh, but you have the, uh, of course, you have the, like the Methodist uh, groups and, and things like that, that have always been a little bit off uh, or, or leaning towards this for a longer area of time. Um, we've seen that over a year ago, about uh, 14 months ago or so, there was a couple pastors in our area who came out and they uh, were decided to oppose gun control and do a gun control protest, uh, you know, in favor of, con- sorry, they weren't opposing gun control, they were for gun control. Um, and actually Patrick and I sent him a, a, a letter, certified letter challenging him to a debate, which they declined. And then we publicly challenged him then after that, and they still declined. Um, that, that was kind of fun to do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I would have loved to debate him uh, on that, but also in our area, I mean, there, I've heard of two Baptist churches that historically, at least the stripe of Baptists that they come from, one's a Southern Baptist, the other one is a, a independent Baptist that's, uh, you know, been really conservative historically, where they've really gone off into the social justice thing. One where somebody uh, came to our church, they visited our church, they said, yeah, we're going to this church, but they they literally start teaching socialism in Sunday school. Wow. And so uh, and I was like, whoa, <laughs> that that shocked me. And uh, then the other church, um, it's actually the church that Patrick left. Uh, and, and then they came to, to our church and they they really were promoting the whole Russell Moore thing with the uh, illegal immigration and, and different things like that. And so it was it, it's been pretty it, it's been pretty rampant around here. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what do you, what do you think that people should be doing if, if they're starting to see some of this creeping into their church? Like, do they just decide, Hey, it's a lost cause. We're leaving. We're going to go find somewhere else and try to find something better. Is it worth the fight within your church? Like what, what should be the response? Well, now, now that's a good question right there, Jeff. Uh, that's why you get paid the big bucks to ask those kind of (laughs) questions. Uh, so I, I think the first thing is, is we need to be biblical about whatever we do. And so, uh, the, the first step, no matter what, is to go and to confront the people um, as they see it come in, to go and to voice their concerns. Most people, when you see it coming in, you're not going to be in leadership. That's not always the case, but most of the time you're probably just going to be in the congregational layperson, and you do need to go and confront the leadership. You need to go and talk to them and say, hey, you know, we, we see these things happening, and asking, first of all, for clarification, because maybe it's a misunderstanding, you know, uh, there are definitely buzzwords that I have that I'm, I'm, oh, my, my radar is going off. You listen to, 
to the Gatekeepers podcast, uh, the Shining Light podcast, and and different things like that, you're probably going to have some of these buzzwords and, and buzz phrases. And so it's going to be a, a a little bit of a a shock to you if you hear somebody use one of those phrases, and maybe they don't mean it. Maybe they just uh, were uneducated on the the issue or didn't intend for it that way. So first, get clarification. Uh, but then secondly, I would try to pursue it as close to Matthew 18 as possible. Um, you're probably, if it's leadership in the church, you're probably not going to be able to take it before the whole congregation in most situations. And so I would take it to that person personally, and then I'd find somebody else to go with you uh, to confront the issue. And then if that still isn't resolved and there's no opportunity to take it before the church, then I would go and leave uh, the church. Um so if people see it coming in, that's that would be my advice to to do that. But I would definitely uh, be prepared to leave, uh, but always be prepared to fight for the truth. But it's our responsibility to proclaim the truth. It's not our responsibility to make other people believe the truth. Yeah, yeah, and then, and then and then because I know we were kind of touching on it a little bit before, but when you when somebody is going to go talk to their pastor, and you know, because I feel like with the social justice, the biggest concern is that it is compromising the gospel. But a lot of times pastors don't realize that. So as the layperson, what's the best way to explain to your pastor that what they're mm-hmm. teaching is compromising the gospel? Well, well I think the best thing uh, would be to go through just that view of, of what is sin. Uh, I think that is the, the biggest thing. Um, but there are some other really good resources out there. You know, uh, sometimes pastors... Uh, unfortunately, um, are a little bit big-headed about things, and they they don't like to take theological advice. So I would find good resources. Uh, we, we've got a decent amount of stuff on the uh, Shining Light podcast, also uh, Gatekeepers Network, and I would also suggest Worldview Weekend, um, as there's quite a few different episodes on that Worldview Weekend radio and, and different things like that to go into uh, to send them some information that goes and really explains the history of social justice. Uh, that's that's one of the, the biggest things. Um, I know the social justice serpents, uh, that Patrick Wyatt wrote was a, a pretty good one, uh, detailing that. Um, I know there's some more resources that'll be coming down the pike, uh, here soon from, uh, from guys like, like me and you. I, I know we've been talking about, uh, getting some, some other things. And it's not to say that, that guys like, uh, like us, uh, have, have more, more of a knowledge on it. And in fact, I would say that I, I probably don't than a lot of people, but the, the big thing about it is, is sometimes hearing it from a neutral party, you know, when you're reading the article that Patrick, Patrick wrote, he doesn't know your pastor. Um, and so he's not going and trying to say, Hey, I know more than you, uh, to the pastor or anything like that. He's just trying to present facts. Uh, when you listen to a podcast, uh, it, it's just trying to present facts. So I would go and try to find a few of those resources and send them and, and approach it first in a gentle manner. Um, but I would probably, I, I'm a more confrontational guy, so I would get more emboldened probably to more want to debate out the issue and, and things like that, and, which I don't know if that's always the best way to go about it or not, but I I like debating. So yeah, Although at, at some point I do feel like we should set up a, a debate with you and then a pro-social justice guy and then just let you guys duke it out and see what happens. <laughs> It'd be fun. I would enjoy it. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah, for sure. So then I was going to ask you too. So you, uh, you recently wrote an article and, you know, we, we picked it up and posted it on, on the gatekeepersonline.com. Um, but you titled it Hold the Fort. Can you explain yep. just so that, that way people kind of have some background? Like what, what led up to, to you writing that article? Yeah. So, so this is a, an interesting article. I really wasn't 
uh, planning on writing it. In fact, we're we're getting ready to go to uh, to Memphis to record a few TV shows over on World View Weekend. And I was trying to get the last notes ready, the last finishing touches ready on everything. And then all of a sudden, uh, I I saw this this news broke that Ad Robles uh, was resigning uh, from his church. And Ad's a, a friend of mine uh, in the social justice fight. And I thought, well, you know what? I have to write something. And this is a a, a big issue that's that's going on, and it's only going to to grow um, because of things like the Shepherds Conference question and answer that happened. And because of the statement on social justice and the gospel, um, because of other people realizing what's going on. And um, it was back probably last fall that I that I met A.D. We we actually did a roundtable discussion. Uh, me, him, Patrick was in on it. Uh, and then also Jacob Brunton and Cody Leibel from the New Christian Intellectuals were in on this. And this was really when the social justice uh, thing started to hit mainstream. I mean— there have been some people who have talked about this social justice thing for years, and I think you could see it coming here for years. But this is really when the uh, it was noticed in the Gospel Coalition, and it was really being being talked about uh, and started to to really be talked about, or at least those those first kind of rumblings of it. And um, uh, we decided to do a roundtable discussion on on what is social justice and uh, how to stand against it. And it was a pretty good conversation. Uh, that happened, and Ad is a guy who, first of all, to understand Ad Robles, he's uh, he's Puerto Rican, part Puerto Rican, and so he, you know, he's not coming at it from his his white privilege uh, or anything like that, as is you know a big social justice mantra, and uh, he's not coming about it from uh, that position of the typically oppressor category that social justice takes, but he's coming at it from the uh, oppressed cat- category, though he's he would go and say that's all garbage. And he's got a real unique YouTube channel where he goes and he takes on these these issues of what people are saying, and he gives some short clips. He's a real uh, charismatic personality-wise. I'm not talking doctrinally, but personality-wise, right. charismatic. Uh, and he goes and he, he makes it real down to earth. And it's funny because in the group that we did this roundtable with, definitely me and Patrick to start off with this, we were the the bold and brash guys. You know, they were going and saying, you know, I don't know if we can call these guys heretics or apostates. Um, in fact, there was, uh, one video that the AD put out he said, you know, there's two types of people there, there are Ezra's and there are Nehemiah's. And he went and he said, you know, Nehemiah went and pulled other people's hair out. Uh, I can't remember what verse it is in Nehemiah. And then, uh, Ezra was a guy who kind of pulled his own hair out. And I always made the joke, especially cause AD doesn't have much hair that he was more of an Ezra, right. but, but he is more, <laughs> more of an Ezra. He's a, he's a nice guy. Um, but he's speaking out against social justice. He makes it fun. I don't think he ever even kind of took it too far. If he took it too far, then boy, I'm really out in left field. And, um, what happened was, um, and I'm not sure who the big name is, but a big Southern Baptist, a big name in in the Southern Baptist convention came and started pushing on his co-pastor. Uh, he co-pastors with a guy, a small church in Vermont and kind of convinced him that AD shouldn't be calling out anybody who names the name of Christ. And uh, AD decided for the unity of the church basically to resign is, is from uh, what I understand. And the crazy thing is they're, they're not even a Southern Baptist church. And so that's, that's just a, a wild, wild thing. But um, there, there are a lot, there's a lot of pressure uh, on the pastors and the people who are speaking out against social justice. Um, there are people who have lost support financially uh, even, even just in small churches, uh, 
you know, I've, I've had people in our church come up and talk to me and say, you know, it's not, we're not real comfortable with you going and, and tackling these issues. You know, can you just get back to, to maybe going and, and preaching just the gospel or something like that? But the problem is, is, uh, we are in a civil war and, I do believe this is of the magnitude of the modernists versus the fundamentalists. And uh, if we if we don't stand, the modernists, so to say, the neo-modernists or the, the social justice guys are going to win and the gospel is going to be compromised. It's, it's not going to affect the people who are sitting in the pews today uh, too much when it comes to going to heaven or hell. But the people who are in the nursery, I think it's going to have a huge impact on if they hear the pure gospel or the real gospel, and of course, it is going to impact our effectiveness to reaching the lost uh, right now, also. Yeah. So, I mean, okay. So I've I've had you know, as you know, it's no surprise to anybody, but I've been I've been attacked quite often, and one one of the biggest one of the biggest attacks that I get is this idea that I am accusing the brethren, and it sounds like yep. it's a similar thing that's happening with AD in the sense yep. of. Well, that guy is a, clearly a Christian. You know, I, even I like. Let's let's take Al Mohler for example. I'm not going to say that he's not saved necessarily, right? Okay. But but at the same time, he's he's teaching and promoting heresy, false doctrine, that sort of thing. So, am I sinfully accusing the brethren for a, essentially accusing a brother in Christ of teaching error? Like, how, how do we work all that out? So, so this is an interesting uh, concept, and, and I think that most people who go down this, uh, you're falsely accusing the brethren route, and I don't mean to be a complete jerk when I say it, but it's, it's probably going to come across that way. I, I really wonder what Bible they're reading or if they are reading their Bible. Um, the Apostle Paul, you know, he was a nice, fluffy guy who never said anything hard. Oh, just kidding. Um, <laughs> he said some very difficult things, uh, but the example that, that I always come back to is Hymenius and Alexander in uh, Second Timothy or First uh, Timothy chapter one? Excuse me, in First Timothy, and uh, the Apostle Paul says that he delivers them unto Satan. Now, here's the issue: you know, most people go and they say that uh, they apply it to church discipline, and then they go and they say, "Well, you're falsely accusing a brother because you can't perform church discipline." The Apostle Paul was writing a letter. He wasn't in that church. He was not the pastor of that church. Uh, to, our, to my knowledge, this is the church in Ephesus. He wasn't a member of that church. Yes, he planted that church, but just because somebody planted the church doesn't give them uh, the, the right to do that. So unless you're going to, unless somebody's going to really argue uh, a very strict Episcopal type church government, that just doesn't really give credence. Which uh, almost everybody who's arguing these things holds to either a uh, congregational or Presbyterian type church government and not an Episcopal type church government with that false accuse, accusation of the brethren. And so uh, the Apostle Paul, as a non-member of the church, but as somebody who has, quote-unquote, a public platform at that time, um, was going and saying, I'm delivering th these two guys because they, uh, though they're in the church, so that means that they were recognized as saved or at least uh, confessing Christ, He's saying because of their false doctrine, I'm delivering them unto Satan. Now, it, it is good to know it was uh, so that they may learn not to blasphemy. So it is that seeking repentance, no doubt. We should always be seeking that repentance in other people's lives. But this is he's doing this from a position, a public position that isn't from within the church. He's calling out brethren for false, for false doctrine. 
um, which I believe it's in Second Timothy, we find out uh, that it sounds like they were going around saying that the uh, the resurrection had already happened. And so, I mean, it was a theological issue, much, what might I say, much less important than uh, the gospel gospel integrity itself, uh, especially considering the evangelical um, community that we have, where we've gone and said, hey, we can have fellowship with one another as long as we're not compromising the gospel. It's generally the evangelical mantra. Uh, that's why Presbyterians and Baptists can get along and, and different things like that. Right. But, you know, you, you look at that and you're going, social justice is an affront to the gospel. And that's that's a bigger thing than the resurrection has already happened. Not trying to downplay that, but um, biblically, there, there is a biblical basis for calling out the brethren, I would say. Okay, for sure. So so then when we're, when we're calling out the brethren, we're calling out these, you know, big name pastors for essentially compromising the gospel, what, again, whether they realize it or not. How how hard do we go? How much do we separate? Like like how much is too far? Yeah. Well, the, the apostle Paul told the Galatians. He first of all says, "Oh foolish Galatians," and, and then he goes on and he says, uh, "You know, if you believe circumcision gets you closer to God, let's let's uh, take it, a, you know, a little bit closer." Uh, well, I, I won't go that far, but but uh, if he says if circumcision gets you closer to God, then emasculation will get you even closer. I mean, he, he almost mocks them. I would say. Mm-hmm. And I I don't know if we should really go and mock them. That's uh, I'm not saying the Apostle Paul was wrong by any means. He was 100% right. That was Holy Spirit inspired. But the the Bible gives a lot of room uh, to to be a lot more bold than what we normally think. Uh, And I and I do think when people are perverting the gospel, which uh, social justice is that, I think there is it's necessary to separate uh, from these people. in the steps of separation, though, I don't think it should be, well, I'm gonna, just going to go be an isolationist. They're not preaching the gospel, so I'm, I'm just cutting it off. We do need to go and give an extending hand by saying, look, you're, you're preaching something wrong. You're, you're doing something wrong. And it starts off nice, and then it, it escalates. Uh, that's the nature of things. And, of course, the people who are coming back and saying you're falsely accusing the brethren— they're also escalating, and in doing so, they're violating their own principle because they're false. They're, then they're they're accusing the brethren, whether it's falsified or not. Mm-hmm. And so, especially when it even comes to logic, it, they don't really have a foot to stand upon. Is what I would say. Yeah. Now, now the the other the other response that I heard a lot of defenders from like Shepherd's Conference use is that. Those of us that, that were saying that they shouldn't have invited guys like Al Mohler and Lincoln Duncan and Mark Dever to speak at the conference, that we're just being hyper separatists. And that we're just trying, we're just saying we need to separate from everybody and they should just all go way over there and we're going to stay over here in our own little pocket. Like, what's, are, are we being hyper separatist? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, th- that's an interesting question and it's an interesting um, uh, accusation that they throw out. And I, I've kind of come to a point where my response to that is, well, I have room in my theology to, to be a hyper-separatist. What I don't have room for my the, in my theology is perversion of the gospel. Why do you have room for perversion of the gospel but not being a hyper-separatist? Yeah. It, you know, uh, that that's kind of where I'm coming from at this point, where I'm going, I don't see it as being a hyper-separatist because uh, we're to proclaim the truth. And I— 
since I've gone and uh, stood out uh, against social justice, I probably become less of a separatist finding people who disagree with me theologically. Um, and it branched out a lot more. I, I, I was pretty comfortable sitting in my own little island and uh, just fellowshipping with guys who believed, you know, almost exactly how I believed. But then when the social justice thing came in, um, you know, I found some fellowship and there's always levels of separation, but some personal fellowship with guys who are charismatics. And I'm not charismatic at all uh, with with guys who are, are are Southern Baptists who I would have I from the from the Sunday school podium, at least maybe not from the pulpit, gone and said, you know, I'm not really sure Southern Baptists are really Baptists because of their uh, church um, and the way that they run their missions and, and things like that. Uh, it, it, and that's definitely painting with a broad brush. So anybody who wants to go out there and call me out, I, I, I recognize that, and I, <laughs> I, I'm not. I, I, that is a generalization. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I'm admitting to that right away. Uh, but but I've seen these things, and I'm going, wow. You know, I've, I've even well, A.D. Robles is a perfect ex, perfect example. He's he uh, he is not premillennial, and he's not a dispensationalist. And, and I'm going. I am a hardcore uh, hardcore premillennial and hardcore dispensationalist. And uh, I definitely wouldn't have uh, fellowshipped with with somebody like that before the social justice controversy came out. So I just kind of throw out that hyper isolationist thing. I'm going. Uh, you guys don't know what you're talking about. But if you want to do that, I I've got no problem being a hyper isolationist to preserve the gospel. But I have an issue with perverting the gospel. Yeah, and that and that's the interesting thing too, because I feel like before this whole social justice thing came out, everybody was really splintered over these things that like that you were just mentioning. But for whatever reason, I I I'm kind of seeing that everybody's kind of coming together around this issue, uh, even though they may disagree on some of these other things, whether it's, whether it's eschatology or charismatic beliefs or whatever that is. And so that's been an interesting development that I've even noticed just in general. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, the, now the other thing that, you know, like, so when I had Brandon on last time, one of the things that we talked about was the background of, uh, like, MacArthur's teaching on the government and how that may have, like, kind of paved the way for allowing social justice to kind of come into the evangelical church. Um, and I know you guys have kind of talked about pietism and your position on Romans 13, which I know is different than what, like, the MacArthur crowd and a lot of the reform guys would teach. So mm-hmm. if you kind of explain, like, what's your take on all of that? Yeah, so so I think that's a really good way that you uh, put it, that it, it paved the way for the social justice to come into evangelicalism. Um, so what, where MacArthur would stand on this, and uh, and I don't think it's hard to, to prove this through his book, um, Why Government Can't Save You an Alternative to Political Activism, and uh, through his discussion with Ben Shapiro, uh, for a more recent one, because I, I understand people's theology can develop and and change over time. And so I'm sure some people would like to use that as an excuse uh, and say, well, maybe he doesn't really quite believe everything he said back in that book. But the conversation that he had with Shapiro would sure uh, confirm that he did it, you know, this past fall or, or whenever that conversation was. Um, but the doctrine is called pietism. And it's it, what I like to call it is a, a privatized Christianity, and it's uh, basically disengaging from the culture war from a political standpoint, or like I said, privatizing your Christianity, going to making it privatized. So you're 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 a Christian here, but Christians only have a sacred duty, and they have no secular duty. Whereas in uh, where I what I find in Scripture uh, specifically is that. 
um, the precious promises in God's word uh, give us all that pertain to life and godliness. And I, I think that politics is part of life. Uh, no matter what era you grow up in, uh, you're going to have to deal with some kind of politics. You know, uh, e- even in a completely tyrannical system, um, you think of, of Mordecai. D- did politics play uh, out in his life quite a bit? Well, he almost got hung from the gallows. Uh, they played out even from, uh, you know, basically captured refugees in Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Yes, politics was a vital part of their life. It, it impacts everybody. And how do you respond to it? And, of course, uh, what do you do with it? Well, Mordecai is a, a great example of this. Uh, you've got Haman comes around and he says, you know, everybody bow to me. And Mordecai doesn't do that. Uh, he, he doesn't bow down. And uh, we, we go, of course, and we like to say, well, uh, we obey our government no matter what unless it violates God. Uh, you know, it's better to obey God than it is man. And I think that's probably a statement that uh, MacArthur would, would even agree with. But the problem is, is the application then, uh, the application of that. And the, the issue is, is uh, the application comes down and you look at it and you go, there is a point where resisting tyranny is right. And of course, defining tyranny is comes down to anything that is outside of God's delegated authority. Um, because civil government isn't the only government that the Bible teaches. And that's uh, one thing that's important to remember, because we get really caught up in this civil government thing. And uh, we make the argument of pietism, uh, that we should have complete uh, agreement with the government or complete submission, unconditional submission, unless they say don't preach the gospel. Uh, We should have unconditional submission to the government. To the civil government is what's argued through Romans 13 specifically. Right. But the other types of government, uh, there's self-government, there's uh, family government, there's church government, and there's then there's civil government. Now let's take the, the other two, uh, the two that are closest to civil government, um, church government, and uh, family government. So l- let me throw this out here to you, Jeff, because uh, – because I know you grew up in the, the MacArthur uh, setting and things like that, so mm-hmm. I'm, I, I'm sure pietism is, is definitely a flavor that you grew up in. Oh, yeah. Um, if the pastor of the church goes and specifically violates the church covenant and specifically violates the word of God, should you resist that pastor or submit to that pastor? I, I would say resist and not and not submit if they're, if they're overstepping their bounds. But right. – I, it's it's a little bit more questionable coming from how I was raised. <laughs> well, well, let's say uh, let's say he he goes and the pastor goes and says, you know what, uh, it it's okay to have uh, to have a, a, adultery. You know um, that was just all under the law, and God wants us to to feel that love and to have that love. And he goes and he starts committing adultery with the church secretary. Mm-hmm. You know, do we think that man is still uh, rightly? to be listened to, and of course, should he rightly be the pastor? Probably not, right? right? Exactly, disqualified. Right, disqualified, thrown out. Well, now here's the problem, though. In, in Hebrews 13, it tells us that we are to submit to those who oversee uh, us, and, and they're overseers of our own souls. Even in Hebrews 13, 17, it talks about, um, and it seems like it's pointing out an unconditional sense, uh, or at least just as unconditional as Romans 13 that's talking about. Um, and that causes a, a problem here. 
Another example is family government. This is an example given in the Mattenberg Confession from the 1550s, just so people can have this, uh, the idea systematized. Uh, Matt Torello really systematized it in the Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrates. Great book. Um, and its website's defyingtyrants.com, I believe. So I just like to throw that one out there because that's the best website name ever. Uh, exactly. <laughs> uh, but but the Maddenburg, uh, the pastors of Maddenburg got together and they gave this example of family government. And they said, okay, if a husband, uh, the head of the household, goes and says to his wife and his children, you guys need to go into prostitution now. I'm, I'm, I'm selling you into prostitution. I'm putting you into prostitution. Should you know what's their rightful response? Uh, are they sinning by obeying the husband and father, or are they? Uh, would they be um, glorifying God by obeying the husband and the uh, the father? Well, of course they'd be sinning. God is, is very clear; he, he doesn't want them in prostitution. That's that's violating God's law. And so that man, just as the pastor before, became tyrants because they violated God's law. Now, we, we have scriptures uh, that tell us children obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It's unconditional. It doesn't say it, it's unconditional and sound. It's not seeming like it's real conditional or anything like that. But it's always, whenever we look at any authority, it's delegated authority from God. And so it has to be within the bounds of God's authority. So when government goes and steps outside of their bounds of authority or God's authority— we can't go and rightly obey government and God. And that doesn't just come when they say, preach the gospel or don't preach the gospel. It also comes when they say uh, homosexual marriage is okay or um, murdering children is okay uh, in the case of abortion or, or uh, uh, the idea of theft is okay in socialism because that's stealing from somebody, taking what somebody rightfully earned and giving it to somebody else. Um, you know, God says, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill. Uh, and that marriage is between one man and one woman. And we look at those things. The government at that point in time goes outside of God's law or his moral standard. And now the question is, is whose authority are going to obey God or the government? And the problem is, is guys like MacArthur would say unconditional submission to the government. Now, they're not consistent in that because they only say that towards civil government. They never say that towards family government. They never say that towards church government. And if you look at civil government going and violating the exact same things that a pastor does, his uh, his contract or, or that written agreement, we call that a church constitution. Oh, well, the government violating the uh, written agreement, that constitution that we have, and of course God's law, the Bible, or God's standard found in the Bible— and the government going and violating God's standard, the Bible, there's just not a consistency there. And so guys like MacArthur, don't, uh, they don't rightly understand authority, and they don't rightly understand government as the Bible teaches it either, in, in my opinion. Okay, so so when you're, when you're looking at Romans 13, when you're, what was that? <laughs> so that was a lengthy answer. Sorry about that. Hey, it's, it's all good. Uh, but what I was going to say, though, is that uh, when you're looking at, like, Romans 13, what exactly then is is it saying because if so like the macarthur crowd is going to say essentially we should always obey the government unless they tell you directly to sin but right. so so what, what what would what would be your take on that well i i would go back to uh first of all the number one uh rule of interpretation is that the bible interprets itself and so i'd go back to uh genesis um 
and I completely forgot the chapter, but when Noah gets off the ark right away here, I'm thinking Genesis 13. and It might be Genesis 9. Uh, I think it's 9. And uh, basically God sets up the idea of capital uh, punishment, which is where I would say that civil government started. Uh, that was God instituting civil government. It was to uh, protect the innocent and to punish wickedness. And I think that that's replayed uh, again in Romans 13 when it talks about that he is— uh, a, that the government is a God's minister um, uh, to basically to, to make us so that we fear to do good. Or if we're doing bad, it gives us fear, but if we're doing good, we don't need to fear. And so uh, what it's saying is it's God's minister. It's, it's executing God's authority. Um, and so once they go outside of God's authority, they become tyrannical. They, they become sinning, and they're the ones— that we need to rebel against in order to obey God is, is what I believe Romans 13 is saying. The same as with a parent, the same as with a pastor. A pastor is God's minister. We call them ministers. Uh, a parent is, once again, God's minister to raise that child correctly. And once they go outside of God's authority, going in and telling uh, people who are in their authority, under their authority, to go outside of God's bounds— then they do need to be uh, rebelled against. And it's not rebelling against them. It's actually uh, going and submitting to God, and it's removing them then. Yeah, and so you you know, you talk about you know, rebelling against the government, and that was one of the things that I— because I remember reading uh, the, that, the book by MacArthur, Why Government Can't Save You, when it came out. And I believe it was in 2001, so I was probably 15 years old or whatever it is. And I, and I remember back then when I read it, it was, it was interesting that he was saying that— the gut that the U.S. was founded in sin, and I and I and I remember that, and I actually believed that for quite a while. Um, but how would you respond to that kind of accusation? Because that, I mean, from what I understand, MacArthur is one of the few guys that's actually made that argument that I can actually think of. Yeah, he 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 he's a the king of Pietism, is what I would say. I mean, <laughs> um. There are people probably more pietistic than him in their practice, but he is, uh, I mean, you know, you get to the Amish and things like that. They're obviously very pietistic. Um, but he is brazen about it and really goes and puts it forth. Um, my response would be simply that if you study out the Founding Fathers, it's it's a completely ridiculous idea that he's he's putting forth. In fact, the Founding Fathers were very careful um, – to to make sure that they were fighting what they called a defensive war instead of an offensive war, and that's not that has less to do with tactics and more to say um, they went out and they put out all these things that how they believe King George uh, was going against uh, nature and nature's God. You know, we, we look at those in the Declaration of Independence, uh, and so they would go and make the argument that King George had had rebelled against God, and so they were just submitting to God. In doing that, uh, in one thing I like to point out is that one of the first acts of Congress was to order 30,000 Bibles because uh, England had gone and blockaded the United States and weren't allowing Bibles to come in. And so they went and they uh, they ordered 30,000 Bibles to be printed, to be distributed. Um, it was very much founded in a, in a Christian ethic and a Christian principle. That's not to say everybody was a Christian in the Founding Fathers. Um, of the founding fathers, but a lot of them were Christians, um, and uh, you know a lot of them were born again, is how I'd say it, and a lot of them were categorically Christians, people who we might not see in heaven, uh, but were people who definitely tried to submit themselves to the Word of God. 
Uh, I think guys like like Ben Franklin and uh, Thomas Jefferson would fall into that category. And I'm not trying to say that they're moral people or anything like that. Uh, but they, they did try to submit, at least in their view of government and their, their view of, uh, of, uh, social ethics, um, that some of their private ethics weren't so great, but social ethics as, uh, as to what the, the Bible went and proclaimed, I would say that Thomas Jefferson was an unorthodox Christian, uh, and I don't expect to see him in, uh, heaven, but I, I do expect, or I would go and say he was categorically a Christian, if that makes sense. Right, right. So, so one of the things, and again, one of the things that I was always taught growing up in this crowd with dealing with pietism and government and our responsibility and that sort of thing is that when you're looking at our responsibility, our responsibility is to the gospel, not mm. to the government and enforcing laws and that sort of thing. So it was go preach the gospel. If you preach the gospel enough, then the laws will just happen, right? And so things ended up always being just focus on the theology. Don't focus as much on the laws and the, and the legislation and that sort of thing. But right. is that really the biblical perspective on that? Well, it, you know, I don't know uh, total. I don't think it is the the biblical perspective. But but let me let me take what you just said and and give it to the argument that that is actually generally made. Um, they go and they say we need to just preach the gospel is what they say, and this is uh, false piety. Um, I, I can't completely take credit for this argument I'm about to make. Uh, in fact, I shouldn't take any credit for it. Uh, I got it from Matt Truella, a pastor in, um, in Wisconsin. And he, he goes and he puts forth this idea of, uh, nobody just preaches the gospel. You know, do, do you ever hear people go, uh, you know, I'm, I'm from a Baptist church. Uh, we like fellowships, uh, cause we like food. And we're about ready to go have a fellowship downstairs, and somebody stands up and says, "Wait, wait, wait! We just need to preach the gospel." N nobody says that, right. you know. That's ridiculous. Uh, nobody goes and says, "Oh, a prayer meeting." Wait, nope, nope. We're not going to pray. Let's just preach the gospel. And then the other question is: Is where are all these people that are just preaching the gospel? Because I I don't run into them on a daily basis. Uh, you know, I, I go and I, I wish all these pietists were out here just preaching the gospel like they said, because maybe their maybe their strategy would work then if they really were just going out and just preaching the gospel all the time. Um, but what I found is that that going and getting involved in politics and trying to uh, persuade people to to have the the biblical uh, politics is that it gives me an opportunity to witness uh, to. Uh, to people who are involved in politics, but then also are, are magistrates, our elected officials. Um, a couple months ago, I went down to, to our state house just to go pray uh, with our, our representatives and things like that. And I was able to witness uh, to four or five in, in one day. And most of the ones I was able to witness to, because most of my representatives, I live in a pretty liberal area, are, are Democrats who don't have a uh, biblical worldview at all. And um, one of them I just ran into uh, about a week ago at the local barbecue place, and we had a nice conversation, and I reminded him, hey, I invited you to, to go get some coffee when this legislative uh, session is over, and he's going, oh, yeah, we, we need to do that sometime. And so it opens the door up to share the gospel with them. The, the problem is with pietism is that they go and they say, let's just preach the gospel but what they do is they forget the thing, the part of the Great Commission that it's uh, in to all the world, and part of the world is political. 
And so even if they do want to have a view of just preaching the gospel um, by going and having an uninvolvement in politics and saying, well, our uh, our laws are going to come from that, they actually have abandoned the magistrate. And so how many unsaved uh, people or baby Christians are political figures? Because it, in these these political figures, they go and either they're unsaved or they're generally baby Christians because when you go into politics, people say separation of church and state, and a pastor won't touch them uh, with a 10-foot pole because MacArthur's sitting there saying, politics is bad, you know, don't get involved in politics, just preach the gospel. And so they don't want to be associated with the guys who are involved in politics. Right. right. It, it, so it's, it's it, you know, if they really did want to go into take that gospel and do that. I think that that actually could work, but they're isolating themselves from the political sphere. And so it's, it's never going to work that idea of just preach the gospel enough and people will, and then the good laws will come. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's, that's just not going to work. Yeah. And and what's interesting is that, and I know clearly he's not a Christian, but I feel like Ben Shapiro does represent kind of what we're talking about in the sense of he'll go out there and he engages with virtually any political topic but then he's always bringing it back to his Jewish faith and, and his roots and what causes him to believe in that and that sort of thing. We don't really have that have that very often when it comes to Christians. And right. I, and I think I wish I wish that we would have that more. Right. It, well, and, and you know, it's when you go and you take a hard stand on any issue, um, it, you know, it doesn't matter if it's uh, – you don't want to stop sign at the, you know, at this certain intersection, or if you um, are against abortion, or for life, I should say. I should frame it in a positive light. Mm-hmm. Um, no matter what you do, people are going to ask you why. And for the Christian, that's the perfect lead-in, no matter what it is, uh, to to tell people why. You know, the issues. Now, I, I don't really go and make a big deal about uh, stop signs at intersections. But the issues that I go and I stand on, they're all biblically based, and that's where my conviction comes from. I publicly state it. People ask me why, and it leads to the gospel. It leads to a conversation to share the gospel. Um, I tried pietism out. I, I really tried the MacArthur way out a, a few years ago. And, in fact, I remember somebody asking me that question, were the Founding Fathers wrong for rebelling? And I didn't have an answer because I, I, I've always loved history. I knew the godly heritage of the founding fathers. And so I was going, well, I, I have a hard time believing that they were in sin. But I'm going, but, but it seems like they should have just preached the gospel. And so I kind of just threw my shoulders up and said, I have no idea. Yeah. Um, I, I tried pietism out. I tried just preaching the gospel. But what I found is that I've had more opportunity to share the gospel when I put my faith in the public sphere than when I keep it in the private sphere. So even from a pragmatic standpoint, um, to accomplish what they want to accomplish, what they're doing doesn't make sense. Yeah. And and what's interesting is that one of the things that I've noticed about the whole, uh, you know, pietist crowd is that typically they own, they're preaching to the choir constantly. They're only amongst themselves and other believers and it's like, how are you actually going to get the gospel out to the world if all you're interacting with are believers? And so that's where, like, from my perspective, I feel like we should be getting more people involved in politics in general or just the comment, the, the you know, out in the business world, out in whatever world, because we need to be in the world if we're actually going to reach the world. 
but clearly we right. we don't need to be of the world, and that's the key distinction. Right, and and I mean I will give it you know the warning to the other side because I understand there there's some uh, there there's some rightful critics of the other side too. Some people do get so caught up in politics that they do leave their their they're a politician first, or they are uh, you know a certain political party first and a Christian second, and, and that that's wrong. Uh, now that doesn't mean that politics is bad. It just means that uh, they have their their priorities wrong. Uh, you know, I know people who are sports fans first and Christian second. And, and we're not sitting here going and uh, preaching. You know, the Pietists aren't sitting there going and preaching that sports are completely wrong and they're absolutely sinful and and we should just uh, completely leave them alone. Um, in fact, most of those guys are are sitting out there cheering for their sports teams because they need an outlet uh, specifically. Males, I feel like, yeah. need an outlet to go and to have that that uh, hobby that's that's competitive, and and I mean I understand you know politics can be heated. It's tough to do that, um, but one thing is 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 when you when you do lose your testimony or hurt your testimony, uh, I always feel like that is not that we should strive for that, of course, but it is an opportunity to go and to humble yourself and to ask for forgiveness. And to uh, to go into apologize where we we maybe were, were wrong in something or or responded in a wrong way and that always helps our testimony in the long run and so uh, when we go and we isolate ourselves so much and only live in a Christian sphere we, we just can't impact the world and that's not how God designed it to be yeah and so what do you what do you think are some of those some of those issues that Christians should be more involved with when it comes to the political de- debate? Because I, I know you touched on abortion and that sort of thing, but should we Im- be involved with all of the conversation, all the debates? Should there be certain things that we're focused on, or how, how, do, how should we figure that out? Yeah, so um, that, that's a really good question. I, I think, uh, of course, the number one issue of the time right now is abortion. That's the, the biggest one. I think we, we need to have voices in that. The reason why we are where we are, why, I mean, hey, let's have mothers go kill their children. Where were the pastors? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, if you love that mother, you know, we can even just set aside the child for right now. OK, we, we know all the emotional arguments from that. But if you love that mother, don't let her kill her child. You know, that's what well, I mean. You have to be a pretty evil pastor to sit there and say, I'm OK with with this young lady killing her own child in my community. Um, I mean, she's going to have emotional scarring. She's going to have spiritual scarring. She's going to have all kinds of guilt and things to deal with. Why not go and be a preventative? Uh, to that, um, I, I do think we need to be in the in the marriage debate uh, because God has shown that He He blesses nations uh, or or sometimes punishes nations based upon uh, their view of marriage. Is maybe the better way to look at that. As He punishes nations, of course, looking at Sodom and Gomorrah is the the biggest example of that, but also the Roman Empire uh, going and falling into those kind of things. Um, I think we do need to be in the economic side of things uh, to to be a a fiscally conservative because uh, that's called stewardship is is the biblical term for that. And this is, whether we like it or not, if you're in the United States, this is a government by the people, for the people, and of the people. And so that means we are going to be responsible for that stewardship. If you, you know, if we think we're responsible for our family's checkbook, uh, we should also be responsible for our nation's checkbook with the way that our government is designed. You'd have a different argument if this was a, a tyranny or a monarchy or something like that. I, I understand that, but that's not the hand that we're dealt. And so we have to play the hand we're dealt, and that is a constitutional republic. Uh, and so we do need to be fiscally conservative, and then we can take it back to God wants us uh, to be 
good stewards of the things that he has given to us. So we, we need to do that. Um, I do think we, we need to be involved in also foreign affairs. That's, that's something I've been working on and trying to learn about. So I'm, I'll, I'll kind of avoid talking too much in, in that subject because uh, I'm, I'm still immersing myself in that and, and pulling out some uh, bad ideas uh, that I've had and, and trying to get more biblical in that mindset. Um, and I, I also think that from a relational standpoint, we can have a huge impact at the, the local level of government, which the issues may not be always um, as easily to tie to the Bible, but the relationships we can build and the conversations that come from those are easy to tie to the Bible. So I, I think it's good to be involved in, in those kind of issues also. Uh, does that kind of answer that question? Yeah, or, I, th- or I think so. I was I was going to kind of follow up with that a little bit as well in the sense of there's – it seems like there's kind of the – there's the conservative side that falls within Christianity. And then there's also the branch of Christians that are more the libertarian side of, mm-hmm. you know, let's allow freedom and then people can decide what they want to do from there. And then let's go out and preach the morals and that sort of thing. Which side would you more fall into from your perspective? So I would fall more into the into the conservative side. Um, the I I don't know. Uh, see, I'm tr- still trying to figure figure this out. Some people would definitely call me a theonomist, mm-hmm. um, and, and I think it depends on how you define theonomist. Some people will define theonomist as a theocracy, and I'm definitely not for a theocracy. Uh, it, well, until Christ comes back, I I believe then we should be in a theocracy when Jesus returns during that millennial reign. Um, but with the the idea of libertarianism, uh, there I would say I agree with libertarians on about ninety five percent of the issues and ninety five percent of of where they go with things, uh, and I and I count them as as great allies. But the problem is with libertarianism, where I would stand, and and I think we, we disagree with this a little bit. If I'm if I'm right, we may. So it'll it'll be interesting. So uh, is is that uh, it leads it leads to a um uh, to a place where where it's liberty uh, above all other given rights, uh, that idea of personal liberty above all other given rights or property sometimes given above all other rights. And the, the issue is, is I think there are other rights that are on the equal playing field or even before that. And it, it comes to a point where it can become um, almost uh, lawless if it's held consistently. Um, an argument for that would be that like Ron Paul yeah, Ron, not Rand. Had to right. make sure I got the right Paul guy. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Ron uh, Paul wouldn't would go and say that uh, prostitution isn't necessarily wrong. Uh, he would say that he's personally against it, but he wouldn't be politically against it mm-hmm. um, because they have the right to do what they want. Whereas, and I would say we I would come from a more Blackstonian approach uh, that all of our laws need to be subject to God's laws is where I would, would stand on that. Mm-hmm. If, if that kind of makes sense. Yeah, I, I think it totally makes sense. You know, I think, I think for me looking at it from a, a constitutional perspective to a certain degree, I feel like oftentimes the, the federal government is making these overarching moral laws that I feel like should be certain, de- uh, delegated to the States and delegated to like the local governments and that sort of thing. And so for me, one of the things that I've been concerned with, and I, and again, I'm still picking it apart and trying to figure it out as I go along too, is if we're really pushing our moral beliefs and our theology and stuff into politics, 
then mm-hmm. it then it essentially becomes a popularity contest between the different religions to a certain degree, right? Because as soon as we get outnumbered, then the Mormons or the Muslims or whatever other religion is going to come in and then we're going to have their religious laws in, in place. So that's kind of been one of the things that I wrestle with. Yeah, so uh, so it's very true practically, I would say, uh, what you just said. I, I can't argue with that practically. Um, that That's not how our nation was was specifically designed because I would, I would go and say that our nation was uh, – pigeonholed as a Christian nation, not just a religious people, but specifically a Christian nation. And so in a heated mob rule, now, unfortunately, we, we have mob rules. So I'm, you know, right, like I right. said, I, I, I'm more, uh, w- would disagree from a principle standpoint than I would a uh, actual practical standpoint. I, I would say that's exactly how it probably will work, would work out in today's day and age, because we've moved away from the constitutional republic. Um, you know, I, I try to be a realist as much as I can. So yeah. even though I don't like that we've moved away from a constitutional republic and moved to a mobocracy. I don't know if it's true a democracy, but a mobocracy anyway. Um, theoretically, under a constitutional republic, that wouldn't be the case. But today, I don't know that we can really say we're uh, acting as a constitutional republic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and I think I think one of the things that really caused us to really get away from being a constitutional republic was when we changed how we elect senators because it used to be that the people would elect the representatives and then the state like legislatures would elect the, uh, the senator. So that way you would have two different, you know, branches of authority basically coming in. You had one that was the governmental side. One was at the people side. And now it's just all a popularity contest all across the board, which I think takes away some of that accountability. I think. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Uh, because we, we've definitely become, Unfortunately, uh, well, it's kind of confusing because I think that we first shifted to a authority of the people, uh, and that's actually not what a constitutional republic is. Constitutional republic is authority in the document um, that, of course, was founded by the people originally. They they gave up their authority, put it into this document, the Constitution, but we we went and we took that authority away, gave it to the people, became a democracy. And now we actually have shifted because people, especially an immoral people, which we've become, um, they, they can't hold that authority, and it's it's not what's right for us. And we become a an oligarchy uh, with the judges uh, today. I mean, basically, what the judges say goes, and that idea of the popularity contest is how people uh, get elected, and then they go and they make laws based on their popularity, decently anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, the thing is, is then the judges go and say whatever they want to say, and nobody's going to stand up to the judges anyway. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's basically how it all how it all practically works out. Right. Um, but so so when we're when we're we earlier we were kind of talking about how MacArthur had paved the way for social justice with his Pietism and that sort of thing, and I I think that the way that he did that was that he essentially called off the conservatives and the, essentially the Bible believing Christians and basically said, don't get involved with this, which then, and I keep, and I keep saying this, but it's just like Obama in the middle East. He created this vacuum where ISIS was able to come in. And in this case, you've got the progressives are coming in and filling that vacuum. And then now we're just like, how do we get here? And how do we write that ship? I mean, is that essentially how you see it? Yeah, 100%. Uh, the problem with the Christians disengaging from the culture uh, in, in the political culture is that it creates a vacuum. Nature abhors a vacuum, right? Something will fill that vacuum, and if Christians aren't going to fill it, it's going to be, you know, Satan's 
all too happy to fill any vacuum that he can. And so he filled that vacuum with this uh, progressive political um, standpoint, this liberal ideology that is completely contrary to God's word. And and I think that we can definitely see that. We're going uh, now that, you know, the, the Satan's not stupid. He waited until he had enough power to go and to present these, this ideology. And all of a sudden, whoa, you know, we're going, how do we get here? How do we get here? And one of the big ways that I see MacArthur uh, opening this door up to social justice is that we don't have an answer for guys like uh, Russell Moore, who says we need to crucify our political alliances at the MLK 50. Well, you know, 95% of the people that he was talking to were probably uh, Republicans. Now, I have no problem crucifying my my political alliances. I have no, no issue with that, as long as I'm crucifying them to go more biblical. But the issue is, is he didn't present a a new uh, a new place uh, to go, and so he says, "Crucify your political alliances." So they crucify their political alliances, and where do they go? Well, they just disengage more because MacArthur's already started that disengagement process, and now they don't even go and show up to vote. Uh, and and that's an issue. Um, and then the other way is through statements like through the uh, Jonathan Lehman, who works for Nine Marks. Um, he came just before the, the elections in November and him and Mark Dever were talking and Lehman presented the case that it, we can vote for, um, for a Democrat who is, is, uh, pro-choice because they're just as pro-life as the conservative who is pro, uh, pro-life, um, because therefore lives on the outside of the border and the conservative doesn't care about the life outside the border. Now, that's a false equivocation right there. I oh, mean, yeah. There's a huge difference in, in killing a child and not letting a child come into America because you can live in other nations. Mm-hmm. This is the best one to live in, in my opinion, but you can live in other nations. Right. I mean, you know, and so uh, – but the problem is, is is where he really opened the store up, where MacArthur really opened the store up is we don't have an answer and we're used to disengaging. And so when people tell us to disengage or when people tell us to do something wrong, we don't we're not educated in in, uh, academically educated on the issues or biblically educated to know what does God's word really say about these things. And so that's how I really think he opened the door up much worse than the actual disengagement was the habits that he set in people, Mm -hmm. in in my opinion. Yeah, well, you know, and and I think and I think really what happened was. When he, when everybody started disengaging to a certain degree, it, the progressives, they just kept going as if, you know, business as usual kind of a thing. And then the only people that were on the right were the extreme fringe that weren't listening to MacArthur that were, that are just, I often compare to like the Alex Jones and just crazy yelling at everybody, whatever it is. And it left out, it completely took out the common sense, Bible believing, you know, Christian. And so then now here we are and it's like, what do we what do we do now? Because because I mean we're looking at it and we're like, is it is it too far gone? Can we write the sinking ship? How do we how do we reengage and retrain all these people to get back into the conversation when every, everybody's just been trained? Don't get too political, right? And, and that's a question I don't have the answer to. Is are we too far gone? Because we we might be. Uh, that's the sad truth of it is is that we might be too far gone. Um, now, I don't believe that God ever calls us to wave a white flag and to surrender. 
I think God calls us to continually fight for what's right. You know, don't be overcome uh, with evil, but overcome evil with good. And so, that you know, that's one thing that we look at in the Christian culture. Uh, does that apply just personally to us? And if it does, even if it does apply just personally to us, is political part of our personal life? I think it is. And so we need to go in to take the evil that's coming in, pressing in against us politically, and fight it with good. Um, and God could turn this whole thing around, but it will take an act of God, I, I believe, at this point in time uh, to really waken people up, uh, to, to really get woke, so to say. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I see what you did there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, it, it's going to be interesting. I, uh, I, I wish I was about 20 years older so that I wouldn't have to uh, deal with this for two more decades. But on the, the fortunate side of things is... I'll be one of the first ones thrown in prison or one of the first ones beheaded, depending on which uh, which political entity wins out if, if the Christians lose. So yeah, um, that's <laughs> – people say, well, aren't you worried they're going to put you on a list? And I said, oh, I'm definitely already on the list. So yeah, I'm not and they've worried. done that. <laughs> <laughs> and there's no getting off their list. Yeah. So. Well, you know, so, you know, one of the things that I keep toying with and I don't know, I don't know the answer to, but it, it just keeps popping into my mind is – I feel like I wa- I'm wondering if we're almost at that point where the reformers were with the Catholic Church, where they completely broke up, broke away from essentially at that time the only true church, if we want to even call that true. But mm-hmm. they completely they basically started the Reformation, completely separated, and went th- went their own way with the Protestants. I mean, I keep toying with the idea: Are we at that point where we need a, where we need an other actual Reformation? Uh, I've been toying with that idea too. And I'm, uh, my personality is a lot more of the, uh, you know, let's go start a revolution. Uh, that sounds good to me. So my answer is always like, yes, <laughs> but I don't know if that's, uh, if that's necessarily the, the, the right answer. And so I definitely try to get, um, advice from other people, listen to them and see what they're saying. Some people, um, are definitely leaning that way of saying, you know, it's, this whole social justice thing is completely crazy right now. Um, the, you know, the, the reparations, the, the racial reparations that people are pushing, the, uh, it, it, it's just, it, it's getting wild. The idea of, of saying whiteness is a sin, um, people are going in and putting out. And I, I understand that the people who are pushing these things are generally more uh, on the extreme side of the social justice you know, the couple outliers in the gospel coalition that are really on the extreme side of it. But then once again, to point out Jonathan Lehman, who is uh, very well respected by a lot of conservative Christianity, and in my opinion, he probably shouldn't be, but he is, um, you know, can't change reality. Uh, he came out and he basically said, you know, we uh, towards racial reparations, um, we shouldn't go, is what he said. It, we shouldn't go and make this a divisive issue. This isn't an issue of separation. It's an issue of disagreement, no doubt, but we, we shouldn't go and, and separate over this. And I'm going, what? You know, I mean, he's he's calling for for unity. Uh, and of course, he would probably lean, in my opinion, tor- towards that racial reparation side of things. And I think what he's getting at is trying to make a uh, a, a synthesis of, uh, going and saying, let's, you know, you guys don't have to completely come over to the side, but just quit talking bad about it, is what I think he's really trying to get at. And, and then saying, and then we'll quit talking bad about you. <laughs> yeah. Which, 
that, that never really works. You know, the, the, the old saying is you give the devil an inch and he's going to take it a mile. And that's the, the problem with uh, surrendering an inch to something like social justice is that it ends up going much further than what we anticipate. And so I, I think it may be time. Uh, I would definitely lean that way. It's time to start a reformation. But like I said, I'm always way too willing to jump into that kind of a fight. So. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now, the other question that I had and that and I'm, I'm going to quote the guy. If I'm wrong, I'll edit it out. So uh, <laughs> but I saw I saw Phil Johnson tweet that he thinks that social justice is a fad that probably won't be around in another four or five years. Do is this something that essentially we can just wait it out and it's not as dire of needing like a reformation or needing to write the sinking ship because it's just going to die out anyway? Or is this something that it's like it, you foresee, you foresee this going on for quite a while? I, I foresee it going on for quite a while because it's, it's not just a theological movement. It is a political movement. And actually the theological movement behind it is really what we'd call the social just, or excuse me, social gospel, the social gospel and uh, that was uh, started by Walter Rauschenbusch and has been around since the early uh, 1900s, um, I, I think the 1920s, somewhere in there. And and we look at that and we're going, well, if it didn't die out in the 1920s, I mean, we're going on about 100 years of it. How, how much heresy uh, or apostasy, really, uh, do we need to have before – and let it root in and, and get established – before we recognize it as a long-term threat. And I think that, you know, 100 years, you look at that's roughly two generations, maybe even three generations of teachers, uh, of people in their teaching career, so to say. Um, I understand people live longer than 30 years or 50 years, but people generally don't uh, have a public platform for longer than 30 or 50 years. I mean, MacArthur's been going at it for about 700 years. but mm-hmm. Seven, maybe, uh, eight, maybe 800, something like that, yeah. <laughs> right. But, but he's kind of an outlier. He's, he, he is uh, a, a special case there. It, and I say that in good fun. You know, there's going to be some people who go and they get all offended. I said that. And I'm going, hey, I, I think he would find it funny uh, if I said that too. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, you, you look at this and I'm going, I think that Phil Johnson probably is mistaken uh, in his, his history of social justice would be my assumption. He thinks that this is a new fad when in reality the theology was laid uh, a couple generations ago, teaching generations ago, and the political uh, movement is actually the most popular political movement in uh, in, in worldly politics right now. Yeah. So I I would disagree with him on that. Right. So kind of as we're as we're closing a little bit, but what what's next in the sense of if if we're if we're going to battle this, if we're going to try to beat this whole social justice movement and that whole thing, how, how practically how do we do it? Well, I, and I guess my answer for this does kind of lean towards that uh, Reformation side of it, uh, because what I would say is there are two major things that we need to do. Um, Maybe three. Let, let me think on that third one there if that comes out. But but at least two major things. The first one is to do with leadership, uh, Christian leaders. And I don't just mean pastors when I say this. I, I don't just mean people who have a, uh, a traditional teaching platform, but those who are public Christians. Um, if you have a podcast, uh, maybe you're somebody who's capable of doing a podcast and you need to do a podcast and 
man, I know a great podcasting network uh, for you if you're looking at that and you're a solid person. You should call Jeff about the GK uh, podcasting network. But Gatekeepers Online or at gmail.com. There you go. You, you know, <laughs> Gatekeepers Online at gmail.com. But, but we need um, the public Christians to go and to stand out, speak out against it, uh, use their platforms, whether it's a writing platform, a speaking flat, platform, a teaching platform, a preaching platform, to speak out against it and to, to not tolerate it is, is my opinion. Because I do think this is more fundamentalism versus modernism more than it is evangelicalism versus fundamentalism. Um, I, I, would, I would categorize it more as the, the modernist movement than I would the evangelical movement. Um, but the other thing is, is that if you are a Christian that's, that's maybe not a, a leader uh, there, you, you have just as important of a job because uh, just as we talked about with A.D. Robles, um, I, I know I've taken quite a bit of heat for speaking out against social justice. Jeff, you, you don't have anybody who's, uh, who gets on, on your case once in a while. No tri- Everything's just story, easy right? breezy. I, ne- I never have any controversy. Right, no controversy there. Nope. But uh, – but we, we need you to, to back us up, and I'm not saying become a Twitter mob and troll people, though that might be fun to do. Um, I, I wouldn't necessarily uh, tell you not to do that, I guess. Um, but you need to leave those the churches that are preaching social justice in the right way, of course. Like I said, uh, seek for that repentance first, but then be willing to separate from that. And you need to find a place uh, that is doing this, if, that is preaching what's right. And you need to go, people who support, um, you know, I don't know how the Gospel Coalition gets its funding, but I assume they have supporters. If you're a supporter of the Gospel Coalition or a ministry that's that's in that and on a platform that is teaching social justice, leave that and uh, go and, and donate to uh, to the gatekeepers online or to Worldview Weekend uh, or, or something. I, I'm doing pretty good at these self oh, yeah, yeah, totally. I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut these out and turn them into little clips. <laughs> right. But uh, but I do I, I am serious in this though that they do need to go into to take their money from that and to put it into something that is promoting uh, a biblical view on justice and a biblical view on the gospel. Um, and I, you know I would say that the third thing, uh, like I said, I wasn't sure if I really wanted to get into this one, but I think it's right there. We do need to find some alternatives uh, to these power players. Uh, you know we do need to find an alternative gospel coalition. We do need to find an alternative uh, to uh, publishing. We do need to find an alternative to seminary, whether it's starting a seminary or, you know, we live in an, a, a different kind of a world here uh, today. There is online education and different things like that. Uh, we need to find different avenues uh, to do this because the reality of it is our seminaries are compromised. Uh, most of our, um, you know, whether it's Gospel Coalition or Nine Marks or, or whatever it is, uh, they're compromised, um, and, and we need to find or start new uh, parachurch organizations or, or however you want to look at them uh, to to be rightly training people uh, to stand against this. Because it, it's great if we go and, and do our part and the people do their part, uh, you know, the, the public people and the, the leaders and the followers do their part, but the issue is, is if we lose the next generation – it's not going to matter anyway, so we need to train up the right gen- the next generation. If we send all of our next generation to uh, – I don't even know the schools uh, right now, so maybe I shouldn't go and say that, but uh, to a social justice school, um, I-, I won't call one out by name for, for fear of getting one wrong, but 
a social justice school and they come out and they started off on a good path, but then they turn out a social justice warrior, then it doesn't matter what we did. We have to be working on the next generation too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I totally agree. And I, and I think that what's happened is that traditionally we've always had, it's always been the, the bad guys that have the really big conferences that are leading all the schools that are doing everything when it comes to technology that are, you know, moving forward with things. The good guys need, need to catch up a little bit. If we, if we want to get our messaging out there and if we want to be educating people, I feel Mm -hmm. like we we've been so internal for so long, we need to actually get out there more. And yeah, I totally agree with you. We need, we need to figure out how to get our messaging out there because I feel like we're failing. The bad guys are winning. Right. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the Satan is very organized, which is kind of amazing to look at. Uh, and his bad guys are very organized. And it's it's been a systematic approach as to how they've infiltrated and how they've destroyed what we have. And, and I'm not trying to say that every single person that is supporting of social justice in, in, in varying degrees are uh, spawns of Satan. OK, that's that's not my point. But my point is, is that there are many people who are uh, who are leading who those guys are not spawns of Satan, but they're uh, they're following Satan's ideology and they know it. And then there are most of them out there are just deceived people who are deceived, but they're they're being used by Satan's ideology. And Satan is very, very good at organizing these things. We need we need better organization. And, and you know, sometimes that that will mean in certain aspects that we do have to fellowship. Um, and, and I'm not talking about ecclesiastical fellowship necessarily, but maybe personal fellowship with people that we don't 100% or 98% agree with. And that's why I laugh at that idea when they go and say we're being super separatist or isolationist. And I'm going, I, I become less of an isolationist and less of a separatist personally since this social justice controversy has come along because I, I see the writing on the wall for the church. I see the grave danger we're in. You know, John MacArthur was 100% right. The social justice is the most, uh, I believe he said, the most subtle and dangerous threat to the gospel that he's seen. Uh, it, it is. It's it's huge. It's a great threat. And so we need to act like it. And that's, you know, that's really where my beef is with John MacArthur. It's, um, it, I don't agree with pietism, but uh, it's it's that he's not acting like what he said. He went and sounded the alarms. I agreed with him when he sounded the alarms. And then he comes out and he just acts like it's not a big deal. Yeah. And I've got, you know, well, these are my friends. Well, if you love your friends, you're going to tell them that they're wrong to their face right up there on that stage, John MacArthur. Yeah. They're not really his friends. Yeah. Well, you know, like that, that's my thing too, is that, is that it's almost like they're expecting us to draw the line and separate from people, but then they're not do, willing to do it when push comes, comes to shove. Because in all reality, the people that were separating from the Word of Faith guys after Strange Fire, that was that was the followers, that was the listeners. That it wasn't necessarily the people that were speaking on stage because that's that wasn't the crowd that they run with. But then when it comes to the people that are on stage, and this is the most dangerous threat to the gospel, and they do nothing, I think that's that's what has ca- kind of caused this whole uproar. I think. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it's it's kind of a tough thing when I look at it and I go, uh, it's not that it's not that MacArthur is compromised when it comes to social justice or uh, or Phil Johnson. In fact, I, I really would applaud Phil Johnson for what he did on the stage. Um, 
Yeah, I, I would too. I, th- I, th- I thought I thought he was he did a great job. I thought. Right, uh, but <laughs> the issue is is that they they have gone and uh, they're tolerating the tolerators, uh, so to say, and, or even just tolerating it uh, to a degree, and that's that's a dangerous place to be in. I, I think that's the markings of a failing movement because it confuses the line, as you said. They're not drawing a line, and if they're not going to draw a line, then the people that are following, which are, which are most of the Christian leaders, most of the the pastors today follow a celebrity pastor, uh, whether we like it or not, whether it should be that way or it shouldn't. That, that is the reality. It shouldn't be that way. We should be following the Bible. Um, you know, MacArthur's not a super pastor. He's just a pastor. And I think that we forget that so many times. Because uh, I've had people come and, and, you know, absolutely throw horrific things towards me uh, by saying, you're falsely accusing a brother, a, a great faithful pastor. And I'm going and saying, well, either you have to claim that I'm not a faithful pastor or that you're falling into the same sin. And they're not willing to say I'm not a faithful pastor. And so uh, they're either they must be falling into the same sin. But it's but it's different because, you know, MacArthur is a uh, when he walks around, angel choruses follow him and he's got halo shining around him or something. I don't well, know. There, there, there's there's actually an article saying that uh, John MacArthur is going to be taken up to heaven in a chariot of fire. So, yeah, well, that that sure would be strange fire, I can tell you that. Uh, but, um, but, but yeah, I mean, this is this is the big issue that that we're dealing with is we need to take real stands. Uh, it's not enough to to just make a, a PR stunt. We need to take real stands. This is real issues. This isn't just marketing, though. We do need marketing, and this this kind of thing is, is pointed out. Um, it, this isn't just about, hey, let's let's find the next topic for a conference, which I, I kind of get that feeling from the MacArthur crowd. Mm-hmm. That this was, hey, yeah, uh, that sounds like a good marketable thing, social justice. Let's make that for our next conference. And then come to find out all your friends are social justice. And you go, wait a minute, I'm not fighting my friends. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm not saying that's what happened. That's just what it seems like. You know, understand that. I'm saying seems like because I'm, I'm saying that more to the, the YouTube watchers because they're going to pick up on all that and, oh, yeah. and throw that at me. But I'm going, it, it seems more like you as a publicity stunt because MacArthur's always been principled uh, when it comes to, to making clear cut lines, as you mentioned with strange fire. I mean, he, he built a, he built a, a brick wall there <laughs> yeah. between the guys and, and here he's, you know, really blurring the lines. Well, yeah, you know, and, and even, le- even leading up to this last shepherd's conference, the thing that I kept hearing from the MacArthur crowd was that they're having these conversations in private. Like, let's not rush them. Let's let them work it out. And, and so at a certain point, you're like, okay, fine. They're going to be there. They said, that, they said that maybe they'd talk about it. They did this Q&A. And then it just seemed like that was the most awkward hour I think I've ever seen on any kind of broadcast anything. And you're like, were they really having these conversations? Because to me, if you were having these conversations, you'd know what each other believes, and then you could debate it. But it was literally like they had never talked about this before, and they were just like, so what do you think social justice is? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I hope they hadn't had the conversations ahead of time, because if they had had conversations ahead of time, I'm going, why in the world did they get up on stage? If you know, Why would Al Mohler get up on that stage if he knew, you know, if you bring up social justice, I'm going to throw a fit? I mm-hmm. mean – it just doesn't make much sense to me um, if they were having conversations <laughs> behind closed doors. Uh, 
they're really unprofessional if they were having those conversations. Um, I don't think they were having those conversations. They didn't act like it. it, it and that's an issue because I, I do think that having those conversations are, uh, are, are what would really help the, the Christian world. I, I, I think having debates on this would be great. Now, the social justice guys don't want to debate, debate us because they have everything to lose and nothing to gain. Right. Um, but I think that if we can find some that would be willing to debate, we need to do that. We need to have these discussions. It, it would be really good for the Christian population as a whole. And I'm not just saying that because I enjoy debates, though I do enjoy debates watching them and, and maybe starting them a little bit. But, uh, but I really think it would be a learning experience because you know maybe some people that are saying social justice are meaning something completely different and they're just using wrong terminology, and uh, you know maybe there is something that we can learn. Uh, maybe that you know maybe they think that we're throwing Christian charity out the window, which I, I don't think we are throwing Christian charity out. That's that's not my intention when I stand against social justice. Uh, I'm all for Christian charity. I'm just not for the government doing our job as Christian charity or it being mandated upon us or paying for sins of four generations ago or three generations ago of people. Um, I'm not for that kind of a thing. And so I, I think that this these would be uh, good issues to talk about. And I think it would actually make the fight go easier if we are all really Christian brothers and sisters. Because uh, shouldn't a family be able to talk things out? Yeah, we should. Yeah. Um, but we can't do it if people are refusing to talk. Yeah. And, and that, that goes on both sides. It, it's it, there, there's an issue of uh, of the anti-social justice guys who uh, who stand against these things. They don't want to talk. They just want to fling mud. I you know I, I've probably been there and flung some mud. But the the issue is is a lot of it's because uh, people don't want to talk. It'd be good to know if we really are fighting straw men or not. I don't think we're fighting straw men, but you can't really find that out until you put it to the test. And right. so I, I would love to be able to put it to the test. I, I think every idea ought to be able to be criticized um, because if you can't stand a criticism, it wasn't worth thinking. Yep. And, you know, and, and I think, and I think too, kind of going along with that, I think that if we, if, if our, if the leaders within our camps, within evangelicalism, actually wanted unity and they wanted to eliminate all the hyper separatists and all that and that whole thing they would have actual public debates and actual honest yeah. open transparent conversations to exemplify to everybody this is this is how we're working through it this is how you should be working through it in your area and come at it where we both sides agree in the sense of that we're coming into this from the opposite sides we're going to be respectful but we still got it we got to be honest about it too and i and yeah. i just i wish that they would do that. But instead it's all these secret supposed conversations that may or may not be happening. And it just causes confusion. Right. And, and you know, one thing that, that I think that we need to get over in Christianity is that it's okay to disagree with one another mm -hmm. and it is okay to separate to, to, you know, there, there are consequences of disagreeing, but what's not okay is to go and to pretend like everybody does agree. Um, because this, this pretend thing is, is why, Everything bubbles up underneath and then comes boiling out, and people get all upset because uh, either they didn't know somebody actually believed this uh, over here or over here, or uh, it, it just bubbles up because they do know it, and they're going, I just can't take it anymore. I have to get it off my chest. If we're having open public debates, like you said, we could know where people stood and, and really – 
Um, I, I do believe in the the discernment in Christians still today, where if they are presented with truth, they are going to, in the majority, pick truth. The majority of the Christians are going to pick truth. I, you know, that's my hope anyway. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And, and the thing that I would encourage anybody who is involved with any podcast or pastors or whatever it is, is to actually get out there and debate and converse. Even if you're not the big name Shepherds Conference speakers, you know, you may not want to, but everybody else start conversing with people, talking to people, because I feel like that's the only way we're actually going to work it out. Like I'm talking right now with bringing on a guy who's who is a social justice guy having a conversation on here. I'm scheduled to go on another podcast into the month with a pro social justice guy. And then we can actually talk it out, debate it. And I feel like maybe, maybe he'll change my mind on something. Maybe I'll change his mind, but the ultimate, the ultimate basis has to be God's word. We all have to go back to God's word and all that conversation and debate will do will be to either reinforce what you already believe or make you rethink what you believe and go back and compare it to scripture. So that that's just, what I encourage anybody who's watching this to do. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would encourage them to do that too. And if anybody who has a podcast or anything like that uh, is watching this and, and you're um, for social justice, uh, I know me or Jeff would love to talk to you about it. Uh, have have a, either a discussion or, or a debate or whatever like that. I'll, um, um, I'll go and say, you know, Patrick would love to talk to him and, and, and debate him, and I'd love to eat popcorn and watch. So, oh yeah, totally. Yeah, that would be entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, thank you so much for coming on. I, I really enjoyed this time, and I think I think uh, you know I really enjoy what you guys are doing over at the Shining Light Podcast. And anybody who's watching, make sure you guys are subscribing and following them because you're missing out if you're not watching it. Yeah, I know. You know, I, I promoted the gatekeepers quite a bit, Worldview Weekend and things like that. I should probably promote our own uh, website. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> dot com. And if you're looking for iTunes or Google Play, um, it's The Shining Light Podcast. And if you're uh, SoundCloud or Stitcher, follow Gatekeepers. So, yep. uh, Tuesday and Friday. Yep. And I'll, I'll put all the links below uh, underneath the video. And again, we'll, we'll have to do it again sometime. And. Hopefully, at some point, we'll be past this whole social justice stuff, but I don't, I don't know for a while. <laughs> yeah, I, you, I, I do see uh, a line coming that's going to be drawn, and so I don't know that we'll ever get past it here in our lifetime uh, totally, but I do think we'll come to a point where it's, you know, we just don't associate with those who are on uh, favor of social justice. That's, that, that is how I see it working out, but yeah. we'll have to wait and see. That, that we shall. So, But again, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. And we'll do it again sometime. Sounds great. Thank you so much for having me, Jeff. Of course. Totally. holidays are a moment of togetherness and joy and a reminder of how tradition creates happy and fulfilled communities. Make this holiday season patriotic with a visit to National Harbor and its stunning new Spirit Park. Marvel at one of the largest American flags in the region and beautiful displays of American art. Make this holiday season the most meaningful of all at National Harbor. Learn more at nationalharbor.com dash spirit park.
You can live a long, healthy life if you're HIV positive. With the current treatments, we can get patients down to being undetectable. The array of options is so much greater today. U equals U. Undetectable equals untransmittable. If someone who's HIV positive, they're taking their medication, they're undetectable, they're not able to pass HIV to their partners. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Your HIV treatment is their prevention. Get more information at doitforyoumc.org.